Hey everyone, as the title says, these stories are very dark and disturbing. I need to give a disclaimer for story number three, which mentions heavy child abuse. And I also need to give a warning for story number four, for attempted sexual assault. As always, I'll have these stories labeled in a pinned comment in the timestamps in case you want to avoid them. All that being said, if you're all ready, let's get into the stories. And remember, to always stay hungry. This was years ago, perhaps when I was around six or seven. For reference, at the time, I was probably the height of a toddler. I was a very small boy for my age, not gonna lie. I grew up in a pretty crappy neighborhood and family. My parents were often on stuff, and I was left to care for my younger sister. I had an older sister, but she was often on stuff as well. I would generally hang out alone outside to get air, or go to the church around 1 to 2 a.m. The church was approximately around 10 to 20 minutes away from our place. To get there, you had to walk an isolated path through some wooded area. My parents were never really the ones to care to what we did. This particular night, my sister had invited some friends over, insisting they wanted to hang out with me to show them the playground by the church. I was really happy to just see some guys around, maybe to get to know them. My brother wasn't born at this time. It was all girls at the time, so this is why I was like this. I of course said yes and quickly got ready. They had bikes, and they made absolutely sure to stay ahead of me, so I had to run to keep up, shouting for them to slow down. I got to the park as they were just getting off their bikes, shouting my name. I guess I'll use a nickname to protect my identity. Come on, Mooka, show us around! To me, they seemed genuinely excited. I was overjoyed that my sister actually wanted to hang out with me for once. We never really had a good relationship, as she often instigated the beatings I would get. I had just gotten close to them when they were all simultaneously jumping back on their bikes, then throwing profanities at me. I screamed, tears already filling my eyes. I was really disappointed and let down, just standing there as I saw their figures get smaller. I eventually just sat in the playground side, curling my legs to my chest and putting my head on my knees, praying to God they would come back. Time passed by, and my legs had started to hurt, so I started to walk around. The park was pretty small. Three swings, a slide, monkey bars, and a pole holding the American flag. I walked and head down to the pole, circling around it, trying to see how high I could count to pass time. When suddenly, I heard a loud screech. I don't know where it came from, but my vision then abruptly gave out. I honestly don't know if it was anxiety, but I definitely hit the floor very hard. I could only hear footsteps approaching, and an older man's voice ripped through the ringing in my ears. I later found out I had heart issues, just to clear any suspicion of over-exaggeration. Who could leave a little boy alone so late? I wasn't completely out, not like I had fainted, so I could pick up on his tone. 
It was mixed with a smirk, if you get what I mean. Sarcastic concern and just all in all a creepy vibe. I sat on the gravel surrounding the pole as the man got closer. He was pretty old, had a long white slash gray beard, white hair, and dressed like a drunken biker and skin that could stretch to cover a mountain. I don't remember what happened once he reached me, but I do remember suddenly waking up in his car and my throat being dry as hell. My body was weak and my eyesight was even more out than before. I truly thought that this was the last day I would ever see my family. I shook even harder at the thought of not being able to become a father to break the cycle. I just laid there, unable to hold my own body up anymore. He slowly walked to his door when I then heard yelling, a scattering of feet, and my sister's voice. She had came back. What the hell? I heard one guy shout. My sister then quickly ran to my side as two of her friends chased the guy through the path that comes to the church. I could hear the concern in her voice as she grabbed me, holding me to her chest. She gripped me so tight that I thought I would pass out then and there from shock or lack of air, who knows. I later found out at age 13 that the reason she came back is such great timing was as she states, we were going to leave you there all night long just as a prank. But when we were barely halfway across the foundation, I heard a blood-curdling scream. That's not what got me. I thought you were just being a baby. But then, it suddenly cut off. It was the silence. The deafening silence is what got my adrenaline going. Ever since that day, I've never felt comfortable to be left alone by any church park or anywhere dark. Things really could have turned out very bad if my sister hadn't shoved her hate towards me down her throat and listened to her gut. I'm so grateful to this day, and our relationship couldn't be better. I live in the beautiful countryside of Suffolk, England. When I finally got the money together to buy my first car, there was nothing I loved doing more than getting back from college and chucking my dog in the back seats and looking for a new route to walk. She was a black and white lurcher named Doobie. Yes, my sister's stoner boyfriend named her this. She was an awesome dog who loved coming on new adventures. Honestly, I don't know who enjoyed them more, me or her. On this particular evening, my best friend and neighbor had asked if I could pick him up from his job as a car valeter in a little old town called Wickham Market. Like most of the small old market towns around here, it's mostly made up of buildings that are older than the US itself. So I'm driving through the backcountry roads looking for somewhere nearby with a footpath or a trail to take the dog up. When I just spot a little parking bay next to a footpath sign, half covered by overgrown bushes. So I parked up and let Doobie out. She had her collar on, and although I slung it around my neck just in case, I never bothered with putting her leash on as she walked a hill, as it was very rare to come across other walkers around here. Most of these trails take you straight onto open crop fields, so I was a little surprised to find that we were on a long, windy mud path through a small but dense wooded area. In fact, 
It has been incredibly bright and sunny, but the trees had such thin canopies that it felt dark and cold in the shade of them. As we made our way along, the cold feeling started to make me feel like all the hairs on my body were now standing up. Like maybe it was more than just the cool shade making me feel off. For one thing, my dog would have usually started to venture off by now, never straying too far, but certainly exploring the world as she went. But this time she stayed glued to my side. I don't know if she sensed something herself or she was picking up on my growing unease. I started to pick up my pace, now seeing the light at the end of the wooded tunnel very soon. I couldn't put my finger on it. I felt like all my instincts were on fire. Like I was about to have some sort of panic attack if I didn't leave that place right now. Unseen eyes followed me as we exited onto the sunny edge of a field. It's not like we have any predators big enough to attack a human here or anything. So why did I feel like that? I stopped to light a cigarette and checked my phone. It was already getting late. That path had taken us a while to get down, and as I looked around, a sinking feeling then struck me. The next trail sign I could see was way off and still heading away from my car. I realized then I'd have to go back the way we had just come. I finished my cigarette, and I decided to put the dog on our leash to walk back. It just felt safer for some reason. As we entered the long, dark path again, I told myself I was being stupid. The dog probably got spooked and picked up on that. That's all. Just as we approached the part where I'd felt so afraid minutes earlier, something through the trees caught my eye. It was a plaque. It read, The remains of Pottsford Gibbet, last known hanging April 14, 1699, Jonah Snell. For those of you who don't know, a gibbet was used to hang and display corpses, sometimes for months or even years. I could see the post standing there further in the undergrowth. We practically sprinted back to the car after that. I know it's a bit anticlimactic, but I've grown up surrounded by stuff like this before in England, but never before have I ever felt like that. It was like something deep inside of me sensed death and danger nearby. So, obviously when I got home, I decided to look it up on Google. Yes, this was before internet phones. So, this is the story of Jonah Snell, the last person executed at the Pottsford Gibbet. On February 10th, 1698, a chilling murder took place at Letheringham Watermill, which left two men dead, a father and son, both who shared the name John Bullard. The men had been brutally attacked by an axe-wielding maniac before then being hogtied to a beam in the mill where their bodies were hung upside down until they were discovered. No one knows if they were dead or alive as they were hoisted into the air, their blood spilling into the ground. Shortly afterwards, a man was found wandering around in the area clutching a dripping axe, his clothes red with blood. Jonah Snell was arrested and appeared at West Wickham Sessions Court, where he was then found guilty of cold-blooded murder of the men who had been working at the mill when their servant then attacked them. He offered no defense. Snell was then hung at Pottsford Wood on April 14, 1699, his corpse displayed in an iron cage gibbet in the wood as a warning. 
His remains moldered in the cage until 1740, until the structure was lowered, and what was left of Snail was then buried nearby. The more and more I read, the more I'm convinced myself that I really was in the presence of something truly evil that day, because my story is just one of so many where people have experienced something otherworldly there. If you can be bothered, have a read on it yourself. It's creepy stuff. I only live a short drive away from that place now, and I've actually been back there a couple of other times on Halloween with a bunch of people for a laugh, but I've never had those eerie feelings again, and I'm really glad for that. For the sake of this story, my name will be David, and the story started over a decade ago. I've always been kind of an awkward person, and for the most part, I would just talk to people online. One girl ended up being rather interesting to me, and we started talking. Her name being Brooklyn, but for whatever reason, she wanted to be called Skylar. The two of us headed off, and we ended up dating online for a while. I forgot to add, but this is important to the story, and this all occurred in North Carolina. Anyways, she didn't really live that far away from me, and I had visited her a few times. Her family seemed a bit odd, but I was an awkward teenager, so I shrugged it off. Brooklyn and her siblings were also homeschooled, and her parents were fairly strict but they were always cordial to me the few times that I'd met them. Well, one day the fair was in town, and we had made plans to go together. So once my mom had driven me there, I got a text with her saying she couldn't go. I wasn't too thrilled about it, but I thought whatever. I guess that her parents changed their minds. Well, it wasn't too much later that she ended up breaking up with me seemingly out of nowhere. I took it pretty hard, but in the end, all I could really do was just move on with my life. Well, fast forward a few years, and I was talking to my mom while the news was on, and I got distracted when I then saw a story pop up. As cliche as it sounds, my blood ran cold. The girl on the screen seemed so familiar. It took a bit to process what it was saying. I can't really remember if it was showing her as missing or deceased at the time, but that little girl on the screen was Brooklyn's sister. The news covering the story eventually told what happened. She was reported missing in 2011, the very same year I was dating her sister. The full story eventually came to light, and what I heard that day and any time I've read about the case nearly makes me vomit. Her adoptive parents were being charged for, I believe, fraud, as well as murder. The things that poor girl went through makes me absolutely fucking sick. She was beaten, locked in closets, forced to go without food, or even just have to eat canned dog food. It came to light that on top of all of the abuse, they ended up killing and burying her in South Carolina. Her adoptive brother eventually spoke up and he admitted the siblings abused her as well at times. The story may sound made up, and you're honestly welcome to not believe it. It is, however, 100% true. And even to this day, I really wish I could have done something to help her. I literally shook hands with the people that could do something so cruel to someone, and I never even knew.
If you want to read more about it yourself, just so you know it's true, just Google Erica Parsons. This happened on a random Friday night during my senior year of high school, which started out like so many before it. I had driven my friend who will refer to as Dan to his boyfriend's apartment. Let's call him Ned. And I did this so the three of us could all hang out. Sometimes there would be other friends in the car with us as well. Sometimes there would be others in Ned's apartment waiting for us to arrive. Most of the time we would get together to play video games, watch movies, eat pizza, drink, and smoke. But this night was different because it was just the three of us. Dan, Ned, and I. I should mention here that I'm a woman, and I was 18 years old at the time. The three of us were just going to hang out rather than party. So when Dan and I arrived, Ned greeted us with no booze and no weed. We started a movie, and roughly about 30 minutes into it, Ned received a text message from a buddy of his. Apparently this buddy had been at the bar with other friends, and they had gotten so rowdy that they were kicked out. So they asked if they could crash at Ned's place. Apparently not concerned about drinking and driving. Ned didn't seem to mind either, because he told his buddy that it was fine. After Ned then casually told us that his drunk friends were too drunk for the bar, and they'd be at his place soon, we went back to the movie, thinking very little of it at the time. A few minutes later, we heard a loud crashing sound as five guys came barreling through the apartment's main door. No one even had to push the buzzer to be let in. Ned could tell that they had arrived based on how outrageously loud they were being when they got there. So he opened his apartment door and guided the drunken group up the stairs and into his apartment. Ned made introductions for us, telling his drunken friends Dan's name and my name. Being the only girl present with a bunch of tall, college-aged, drunken guys was a little intimidating, but I put on my best smile anyway. It didn't take the guys long to head into the kitchen and ransack Ned's place for food. The guys had decided to make some pizza, but Ned felt the need to supervise since they were all so wasted. Dan stayed with me in the living room, and some other drunken guys stayed behind too to check out Ned's computer. He then encouraged me to come over to help him use the computer. I thought that he must have been joking, but I walked over to help him. Well, once I bent over the desk, he pulled me onto his lap. My face turned red, and I was very visibly uncomfortable, trying to pull myself away almost immediately, but the drunken guy kept laughing like it was a joke. Hey, lighten up, he told me. I just want you to sit down with me for a minute. Can't you do that? He asked in a slurred voice, the putrid smell of alcohol wafting heavily off his breath. I absolutely cringed at the smell and again pulled away. That's okay. I'm good. I tried to say, but this only seemed to make him more insistent. Suddenly he grabbed my wrist and then held me down with one arm around my waist. I was basically trapped. I turned to look at Dan, my friend of three years, and I saw him duck into the kitchen, pretending he didn't see what just happened. Maybe you like to be held down. The drunk guy insisted. 
I can hold you down. I'm pretty good at that. Now he was leaning into my neck and sloppily kissing on my skin. I felt sick as I recoiled away, using my free hand to push his chest away from me. No, I don't! I yelled, this time hoping to get the attention of one of the other guys in the apartment. Then you're just a fucking tease! The drunk guy shouted at me, still gripping my wrist so hard that it was now turning red. I should take you into the bedroom and show you a thing or two. He mumbled while I continued to protest. I just kept telling him to stop and let me go. Eventually, he stood up from the chair and tugged me toward the bedroom. I tried to yank myself free, but he was behind me, and he moved his arm from around my waist to now wrap it around my chest, groping me in the process. I was visibly shaken at this point, tears starting to prick my eyes. I didn't really know how to get myself free. I couldn't understand why my friend Dan didn't do anything to help me. Finally, Ned noticed something was amiss. He came over, pushed the drunk guy, and then told the others, Yeah, you better get your fucking friend. The group of guys clumsily came over and then pushed the guy off of me until I was finally freed. I just found a place to hide, shaking and crying, until they all left. The drunk guy who had almost assaulted me was now furious, and it took all four of his friends to restrain him. You're a fucking bitch, you fucking slut. I knew I should have raped you. He screamed at me. Ned told his buddy that they all had to leave now, and that he now understood why they were kicked out of the bar. They weren't allowed to return. He made it clear that if they ever tried to, the police would be called. After that, they left in yet another clamorous episode. I watched them exit the parking lot, and before Dan could apologize for not being there for me when I needed him, I left. That was the last time I ever really hung out at Ned's apartment. I was almost assaulted by a complete stranger who was probably too drunk to remember half of what he did that night. I guess it goes to show you that you can just never be too careful of strangers. Hey everyone, I hope you all enjoyed these stories. If you ever want to submit your own, you can do so at southerncannibal.com. Have a good night everyone, and remember, to always, stay.